welcome to the Cross Promo Pro Wrestling Podcast. Uh, I'm Kevin. I'm Chris. Uh, another week of professional wrestling has went by, but uh, as we stated in our TikTok, it's going to be a different episode uh, this um, this week. We're granted, yes, we're in the shadow of All In, the pay per view that's going to be happening on Sunday. Um, so we'll still cover that for, for you all. Um, but we just wanted to go ahead and get this one episode, uh, not out of the way, but we just really felt the need. We needed to do this episode and we're going to be doing it completely differently out of the norm of what is, what what we normally do out of what we normally do on a weekly basis. Uh, we're not going to be giving you the weekly results and um, anything going on in the news because there has been enough that has happened in the news enough for the news um so um we'll just get right on into it we lost two great legendary wrestlers this week of course i'm talking about uh terry funk and uh bray wyatt uh and I know a lot of people are like, well, Terry Funk, yeah, he was getting up there in age, but, I mean, still. Uh, then, of course, Bray Wyatt, who was shockingly one of those definitely in the category of gone too soon. Um, How old was he again? He was, he was my age. I, I'm, I'm gra- around my age. Granted, I'm 37. Um but uh, Bray Wyatt was 36. He just barely turned 36 uh, and died of a... They have released his his cause of death. And that was... Uh, it was a, a heart attack that was brought on by COVID. Um, we did not know that he had contracted this. Uh, that's the thing about Bray Wyatt. He kept... He did professional wrestling as he was supposed to. And did the the gracious thing of keeping his personal life outside the ring and left it there. Because I thought uh, the reason he was out so long was because of like an injury or something. No, it was it I was due it to that. it was due to COVID, and uh, we'll get more into that a little bit a little uh, here a little bit later. Um, it's not going to be a very long episode. Granted, you know we are going to be talking about two great masters two of the great masters in the ring uh and we'll we'll start off with uh talking about terry funk uh chris not much knowledge on terry funk um he was more around kind of like my my era in a way uh you know late 80s or whenever I was, you know, starting to watch wrestling, late '80s into the '90s. Uh, by the time it was into the '90s, Terry Funk was already coming towards the end of his career. Um, many legendary matches. I mean, I mean, Chris. Um, I think we were gonna get around to talking about those at some point. Don't know when exactly, but yeah. Well, um, Chris, I had Chris watch uh, quite a few of Terry Funk's matches to kind of get a, to really get a full understanding of Terry Funk in and out of the ring. Uh, 
you're watching matches from the classic WCW days, um, NWA, and then all the way up to ECW and WWE. Uh, I mean, we can start uh, to talk. Uh, well, let's talk about, you know, Terry Funk. He was known by Terrence Funk. That was his name. The last name was not not altered or anything like that. Uh, he was born June 30th of 1944. He was born in Hammond, Indiana. But after uh, World War II, his parents had moved to Amarillo, Amarillo, Texas, in our backyard here. Uh, and um, his uh, came from a family of professional wrestlers. His grandfather, his father, uh, ended up uh, running... Um, ended up running a uh, prom, uh, wrestling promotion out in Amarillo. Uh, it was during that era of you know the you territories, had the terror of of course the legendary territories. Um, it was um, during also during that time of you know when you had about three, three or four territories in Texas. One of them, of course, being uh, Fritz von Erich running uh, WCCW. Um, I can't remember the one. It was down in uh, towards the Houston area. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head right now. Um, his early... Well, I wouldn't say his... He, um, he was a student at uh, West Texas University. Now it's considered Texas A&M. Um, that was where, uh, Dusty Rhodes had went to, uh, school in college. Uh, as far as his wrestling career, uh, he started working with his father and his brother, Dory Funk, um, in, um, 1965. He was in his, uh, early twenties when he started in 65 um his first match was in December 9th and he faced Sputnik Monroe in his very first debut match in professional wrestling uh he would later go on and team up with his brother Dory Funk Jr and they would take on the likes of Ernie Ladd, Hank James, you know, le legendary wrestlers in that decade. Uh then about around 1970, he came to uh, Championship Wrestling in Florida. And that's where Dusty Rhodes was at as well. And he would have classic bouts with Dusty Rhodes, of course. Uh, Jack Briscoe, uh, Giant Baba, Pat O'Connor, just to name a few. Um, he had uh, also become the... In about 1975, he beat Jack Briscoe to become the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, and he traveled the, he traveled the world with that belt and defended it in Australia, Japan. Um, about around um, uh, about around the early 80s, he was still still wrestling and came into Continental Wrestling Association, which was. Uh, where Jerry Lawler wrestled at that time. And they had the most 
most famous feud. And one of the most famous matches was the very, I believe, the very first empty arena match where they just wrestled throughout the whole entire arena. And um, it, it was it was starting to show a little bit more of uh, an extreme side to uh, Terry Funk a little bit here and there. Uh, then, of course, he had wrestled in all Japan, uh, came into... Uh, of course, WWE at one point in the mid-80s. Uh, only stayed with WWE for about a year. And then went back to WCW. Um, there he he faced... He had the legendary uh, feud with Ric Flair. Which one match you did see. The I Quit match at uh, um, uh, Clash of Champions. Clash of Champions nine, I believe it was. Yeah, and the, um, I be, I remember that Roman numeral gave us a bit of debate there. On it, it, it threw yeah, it threw you off, it threw me off too. Yeah, um, he's had bouts with also uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, he's faced quite a few. I mean, um, Sting, Justin, just to name a few from there. Uh, we can go ahead and we can talk about uh, his match with Ric Flair, that I Quit match. Chris, you, you saw that match, uh, and that was like one of the first matches you saw with Terry Funk. Uh, what were your thoughts on that ma- on his match with that legendary match with Ric Flair? It was, it was good, um, it, especially uh, the way he was selling it. I remember when, when the... What was it? The figure four, I think it was called. Yeah, the figure four. Yeah. Uh, either he was selling it, or it actually just hurt like hell. I I don't know. You know. It, yeah. Uh, it it was a good match. Hard hard fought between the two of them. Uh, neither one wanted to say I quit. As you know. Yeah, and you and you saw Terry Funk get a you know a little ex- start to show his extreme side there. Yeah. Uh, oh, we were using the, the wireless microphone that they had as a weapon. Yeah. Both of them. Both microphones I think he tried using. Uh, I know definitely the wireless one, though. Yeah. Definitely did. Uh, there was this... It was like... I, it was part of something, like a, a board he found that he took off of something. I think it was like the ramp type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he ended up... I think it was a pile drive type move. Yeah. Uh, with Ric Flair, that was his uh, one of his signature moves was a pile driver, and what, uh, and I was telling Chris about this match, what led up to this match, and it was after uh, Ric Flair had beat Ricky Steamboat for the uh, WCW title, and then you know uh, Terry Funk jumps him and uh, pi- tries to attempt to draw, pile drive him through a table, but it didn't it didn't work. It he just pile drived him onto a really stiff table. Mm. And um but yeah, Pyle drived him outside the ring and everything. And uh, then you had uh his manager, uh Gary Hart. Gary uh, Hart. Uh famous for uh WCCW. Uh that was he, him and Ric Flair seemed to be having a little bit of trouble even at one point grabbing the branding iron to try and protect himself. Yes. Uh that that was pretty funny. Okay. Uh, uh, another match we saw, it was, uh, I think it was that, it was a Slamboree match, uh, with, um, Tully Blanchard. 
and it was just a regular regular uh match uh this one took place in 94 i think it was uh slamboree and they were honoring like legends and things like that um, your thoughts on that match with that one you could also see a bit of him trying to be more aggressive and i guess push the boundary of what is or is not a dq right and, and there and it got to the point where it was like with some of the stuff kind of like with the rec flair one uh, well, the Ric Flair one, there was no DQ because it was the I Quit match. Yeah. But with this one, it was some of the stuff he did. It kind of made you wonder a little bit if it was no DQ or not. Uh, match ended up ending in a disqualification, but it was still a good show by both of them. Yeah. Uh, it was. Um, he used the branding iron, the double cross branding iron. If you and look then, at the end of it. It's got a cross on one end and a cross on the other end, hence Double Cross. And that's where he has his ranch. Uh, his ranch is called the Double Cross Ranch. And what were you, what were you about to say? And then at the end of that match, he just ended up bending the, the iron around Tully Blanchard's neck. Yeah, and so. it ended up in a double DQ. Well, later that night, after that match, he joined uh, Colonel Robert, Robert Parker, Parker's uh, stud stable. And that... Made up of Bunkhouse Buck, Arn Anderson, and Ming. Uh, they would focus and attack uh, Dusty and his son Dustin Rhodes. Uh, have clashes with the Nasty Boys. Uh, have legendary matches at uh, with a War Games match at Fall Brawl. Um, then, of course, Terry Funk went back to Japan, uh, mid-90s. And... Um, you know, wrestle there, but then one that will forever be his forever be his memory is uh, being in ECW in uh, early to late 90s. Uh, that's where he got, excuse the term, but that's where he got extreme. Uh, of course, he had he would have classic matches, one of them being uh, barely legal with. Um, Sandman and Stevie Richards in a triple threat match. Uh, another, it was, of course, with Cactus Jack, or also known as Mick Foley. Uh, that was one we mentioned, I believe, in, I think, our last episode or the episode before where we were mentioning that, where that event took place, and that was where you had all those chairs being thrown into the ring by the fans and uh, having, I think it was uh, Mick Foley was buried underneath it or something like that. I can't remember who was buried underneath it. Uh, but that was one of the trademark signature images you see anytime they bring up ex uh, ECW was that visual of people throwing chairs into the rings and it was during that match. Uh, a lot of craziness with that match too. At one point with, um, he had a match with Cactus Jack and he, had the branding iron, the the double cross branding iron, and he had it lit on fire and was trying to brand Cactus Jack. Uh, did, it, did he succeed? I don't know. I, I can't, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, of course, as always, there's always barbed wire that's involved with uh, Cactus Jack and uh, Terry Funk matches. Uh, Terry Funk wasn't afraid to bleed. Let's say yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, we saw that with one of the matches we watched. We did. Uh, one of the other matches that I know you watched, it was uh, when he came back to WWE and had a match with 
um, Mick Foley on a Monday Night Raw show. And it was, I believe, a no-holds-barred match. Uh, no DQ, false count anywhere. False count anywhere. Okay. Um, your thoughts on that match that you saw? Because you were uh, watching two hardcore legends go after. We tried to get... Uh, he tried, uh, Granted, Chris did try to watch the ECW match at Barely Legal. We could not find it. He could not find it anywhere. We went scoured through Peacock and daily motion anywhere we could find it and he had we spent most of the day just trying to find it and couldn't but about this match uh with them in wwe uh, another good one um well uh as you know uh mcfoley's one of my favorites of course so it was a good match um did, what was the the storyline for this one um I believe it was Mick Foley didn't know who he was anymore, and he was trying to be the number one contender for Stone Cold Steve Austin's title. And Vince, and he was there at commentary. Too. Yeah, he was there at ringside. But uh, Mick was thinking he was being punished by Vince, but Vince, Vince was saying, you know, this is a reward to have you face your best friend in, in this match, and this match could probably prove that you could be number one contender again and all this other stuff. Uh and the the back and forth with the comment the commentators and and Stone Cold the mic interference that he was having yeah uh again the back and forth tables and everything were used cuz uh, at one know. point they both Terry Funk and Mick Foley they were attacking uh food vendors that that was that was what surprised me even at one point uh what was it a suplex i think it was yeah uh, to a hot dog stand guy. <laughs> uh, Terry Funk kicking one of them in the head. I mean, it, Terry Funk didn't care. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> He's was like, also, I'm going to fight. And there was also some stuff we noticed that doesn't happen much anymore, like the, the, the chair headshots thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that we ended up noticing. Uh, yeah. Well, later in that career... Uh, Late 90s, uh, Terry Funk went back to ECW uh, and faced uh, people with the likes of Tommy Dreamer, Just Incredible, J Jack Victory, and of course, uh, Jack Victory, it, or not Jack Victory, but uh, it turned out, you know, Jake Roberts uh, was also a part of it too. Uh, then he came to, towards the end of the WCW run, uh, early 2000, 2001, that, that year. Uh, at one point, he had faced the likes of uh, Bret Hart, um, Larry Zbysko, Arn Anderson. Um, came back and had a, had a few good matches. Uh, then after, after that, it just seemed like Terry Funk almost kind of, kind of, kind of went rode off into the sunset as it were you know as the cowboy as he was but uh um, like cody rhodes was saying what cody rhodes was saying you know yeah cody Rhodes. that he was true he was true about it though his reaccountants of how he met terry funk and everything uh but during an end he was during an independent circuits uh he would wrestle for ring of honor major league wrestling he would also have matches with cm punk believe it or not during that time because uh, that was when CM Punk's career was just kicking off. And CM Punk was having 
legendary matches too, but that's neither here nor there. Um, have to try and look for those sometime. Yeah. Uh, so he, he had a quite, uh, he would, um, he would have a match with, uh, at a event called hardcore homecoming that was ran by Shane Douglas, a former wrestler of VCW, uh, Funk was in a three-way match, uh, and one of the opponents it was a barb a three wire a three-way barbed wire match, and one of his opponents was uh, Sabu, legendary Sabu. Well, then it's after that, wire. yeah. Well, after that, then he goes to uh, um, TNA or Total Nonstop Action uh, in two thousand and four. And uh, would face CM Punk again, as well as Raven. And then um, back in 2009, he had a match with, um, he had joined forces with Mick Foley. Because Mick Foley at this time went from WWE to TNA. And uh, they were special enforcers for a match between uh, Scott Steiner and Samoa Joe. And then, um, of course, he would have sporadic returns to WWE here and there every now and then. Um, of course, um, you know, one night stand, he had to, he teamed up with Tommy Dreamer to take on Mick Foley and Edge and, and Lita. And that match you saw, what did you think of that match? Because at this time, when Terry Funk was wrestling in this match, he was already in his 60s. Uh, lots of blood. <laughs> yeah. Well, just think about it this way. By the time Terry Funk wrestled in this particular match that I'm that I'm talking about, he was already your grandfather's age. Hmm. So. Yeah. Go ahead. Unload your thoughts on this match. Um, I almost was about to mention. While we were watching it, I was about to mention the PCO match because oh God, of all the yeah. blood. In fact, I, th- I think I flat out did when there was like a sign and it's like, hey, dad, that, that sign reminds me of something. Yeah. And then a cookie sheet just fell out of the trash can. So, I mean, there, yeah. there was my reference right there. Didn't use it, but hey. Hey, that's all right. Uh, it, it was uh, another one of those hard fought matches over here with what boards wrapped in barbed wire. Oh, yeah. Uh, Terry Funk didn't pull no punches on this. A two by four, a four by four, or something. Uh, baseball bats wrapped in barbed wire. I Don't think... forget, Terry Funk also had one that was lit on fire. Yeah, and Mick Foley got lit on fire a little bit. Yeah. Uh, that was that was after he came back from like the where the... I was. I thought he actually got cut on the eye. Yeah. Um, but it was, it, it was very close. So luckily, he didn't have any kind of vision damage. Yeah. Um, and see, there was this, some kind of sheet that was covered in barbed wire on mm-hmm. one side. So lots, lots of barbed wire. McFoley also wrapped his arm in barbed wire at one point and started using that. Uh, I think that was about it. And then I would be remiss if I didn't mention one of his characters. Uh, he, when he teamed up with McFoley, he had a character named Chainsaw uh, Chainsaw Charlie, and he would legendary. He would have, you know, pantyhose on his head, 
but he would be running around in uh, flannel shirt overalls and be with an actual chainsaw and be running around and he would sometimes show it was real by hitting it on metal or something and uh that was one of his little gimmicks he had with mcfoley because him and cactus jack should have been friends they were they actually were they were a tag team at one point i believe chainsaw charlie and cactus and 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 they would also have feuds too so i mean they uh if it wasn't for terry funk we wouldn't have mcfoley let's let's look at it that way uh we wouldn't even have pco (laughs) yeah (laughs) um well, soon after that, um, in 2009, both Dory and Terry Funk were inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, and uh, they were inducted by Dusty Rhodes, the late Dusty Rhodes. And um, in 2013, Terry Funk inducted McFoley into the Hall of Fame in 2013, and made a... Uh, brief appearance in uh 2016 on an episode of raw where uh dean ambrose was getting ready for his match with brock lesnar at SummerSlam, or i'm sorry at wrestlemania wrestlemania 32 and terry funk gave him chainsaw charlie's chainsaw (laughs) and said this is dean ambrose's this isn't chainsaw charlie's this is dean ambrose's um did the chainsaw come into play during the match, or what happened there? No, no, um, it, it didn't. But it, it just showed how how much backing Dean Ambrose, or in this case, John Moxley, as everyone knows him now, had that much backing behind from a legend as as big as Terry Funk. Uh, later, later on, for the span of the next several years. He would be in the independent circuits again, uh, wrestling for, you know, WWE independent uh, companies. And one of them also being uh, Insane Clown Posse's uh, Juggalo Championship Wrestling at one of their at their 10th annual gathering of the Juggalos. Mm -hmm. Uh, He would also go back and wrestle in New Japan, uh, teaming with uh, quite a few wrestlers there. Uh, 2010, he even... uh, Worked as a, a ringside enforcer at the Ring of Honor's pay-per-view uh, Glory by Honor 9. See how the Roman numerals? I'm remembering the Roman numerals. Um, he was at ringside as a special enforcer to watch a uh, to be the enforcer for the Ring of Honor World Championship. And it was between Tyler Black and Roderick Strong. Now, you're familiar with Roderick Strong who is in AEW now, but Tyler Black, that was one of the personas of the current world heavyweight champion, Seth Rollins. Huh. Um, he would appear at several, you know, wrestle reunions, um, you know, show up at a lot of signings, and um, he would face... Um, Quite, quite a few, several people, a lot of up-and-comers, some legends. You know, at one point he did face Tommy Dreamer at an independent event. Um, he would even face uh, Jerry Lawler's son, Brian Christopher, before Brian Christopher passed away. Um, 
he would face him in an independent match. Um, as far as his personal life, and I, we tend not to get pull behind the curtain and get in people's personal lives. Um, but um, he uh, was, you know, he was married, and they they had a uh, his wife uh, was uh, Vicky Vicky Ann. And they had a uh, had a ranch out in Canyon, Texas, uh, which they later sold. Um, what else? Uh, Terry Funk was close friends with uh, Sylvester Stallone, especially after they had filmed the movie Over the Top. You'll see. I remember we were watching that movie, and you were telling me that there was a wrestler in there, and it's like I know they I. I remember there was something he that he they did, did together, he did, but I he, wasn't sure. He did a so. few. He did a few movies over the top. Uh, two of them that stand out the most: over the top and Patrick Swayze's movie Roadhouse. I've where, almost, I've just seen over the top. Yeah. Well, in Roadhouse, he had more speaking lines and uh, more action. He did more action in that too. At one point, he. Uh, carried a guy over his head. It, it was supposed to be a bar fight scene and he'll, he'll be punching guys and throwing guys around. One is he carried a guy above his head and slammed him. <laughs> so he w- he was tapping into his extremeness there. And that movie was like late, late eighties, early nineties. Um, let's see. He, um, about by uh, two, uh, 2021, Don Morocco had reported uh, to people that uh, Funk was diagnosed with living with uh, dementia and was in an assisted living. Uh, of course, his uh, Terry Funk's uh, daughter, one of his uh, one of his children were, you know, uh, helping him out and everything. And. um it wasn't until um, till August 23rd of this year, just earlier this week, um, age of 79, he had passed away at a Phoenix area hospital. Um, Mick Foley, who is friends with him to the end, uh, visited him one time. And uh, it, Mick Foley found out by uh, getting a phone call from one of Terry Funk's daughters, letting him know that he had passed away. And uh, a, lo- a lot of fans and wrestlers that were that were saddened by this by by this loss. Uh, he was he was a tough fighter, through and through. Uh, he even fought disease. You know, fought disease. He was a tu- he was a tough sob. I, after you know watching a lot of his matches and as as old as he was still wrestling it was like again that that uh one night stand he did uh ecw an average 60 year old 60 some year old man would be like not lasting in that match but he did pretty good he held his own i don't think most i think most people would try and stay away from getting involved in that kind of thing as much blood was pouring out of his head in yeah. that match. Yeah. But um fire. We uh we we'd like to uh, from for the cross promo wrestling podcast, we like to honor and pay respects to Terry Funk and his 
his long storied career, 50 plus year career in professional wrestling. Uh, also as a local Texan, you know, you know, or mm-hmm. not local, but you know, as a, you know, as a Texan, we respect those. Uh, so that pretty much covers for Terry Funk. Uh, next we move on to one that is one that, um, really came as a surprise, really came as a real hard surprise. I found out about this after leaving work. Uh, and, uh, Thursday, and, and then you told me about it one out while I was getting notes for Impact. Yeah, uh, I, like, I uh, came in and Chris was, you know, getting notes on Impact. I came home from work and I told him, "Hey, stop doing notes. We we can't, we can't be, uh, we can't do a regular show this week." And I, I couldn't figure out what he was talking about until he told me what happened. Okay, and then how did you feel whenever I, uh, t- whenever I told you Bray Wyatt has passed away? I mean, I I kind of didn't know what to think because it didn't it didn't make sense to me. At it really didn't. Uh, he wasn't even. Again, you said he was what thirty six. Yeah, thirty six. And a heart attack. You don't normally hear about people having a heart attack about thirty six. Right. It's usually like forties, sixties time frame, I guess. Yeah. Um, I thought worst case scenario he had like an injury. Um, that, and that's why he was out, but it was COVID and like heart issue related. So I, I just kind of didn't believe it until like SmackDown came along, uh, and they did that, the big tribute to him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he, um, it came as a surprise to me too. Uh, for one, it was the fact that he was my age, around my age range and died of a heart attack. And then I read and found out later on that same evening, uh, it was brought on by COVID that exacerbated his heart and induced a heart attack. Um, Wyndham Rotunda is his actual name. Uh, Born of famous uh, Rotunda family. Um, His father, uh, Mike Rotunda, you may know him as irs his grandfather the legendary black jack mulligan that's who his grandfather was uh his uncles were barry and kendall windham his whole family professional wrestling comes from a legendary wrestling family his brother is uh, taylor rotunda which everyone knows him as bo dallas or uncle howdy um both, um, I mean, it came as a shock and a surprise to me, too, for his death. Um, but we'll go into the history of, you know, Bray Wyatt here. Uh, born in 1987, uh, same year as your mom when she was born. Um, played football in high school, was real athletic. Um uh, he came into WWE through the old Florida Championship Wrestling, uh, their de- their development their developmental program before it became NXT. Uh, he was uh, a tag team champion with his brother because both of them came up at the same time, and uh, it wasn't until about around that was 
it was about around um, 2008, 2009, and that was like two or uh, three or four years after you were born. Uh, then around 2010, 2011, he had changed his name f uh, to Husky Harris and became uh, part of this new NXT where you would have a certain number of rookies that would be paired with a certain number of actual WWE superstars and then would go through um, little, it was almost, it kind of had a game show feel, which I didn't like. And you would be eliminated if, and by having a match with another NXT star and you would, if you're eliminated, if you lost the match, you were eliminated. He was a part of the first class of NXT superstars with the likes of Brian Danielson, Bray, um, what was it? Uh, Wade Barrett. Um, doesn't Wade Barrett do commentary? He does commentary now. Uh, another one was uh, one Byron Saxton. He uh, he does uh, he does interviews now for WWE. He was a part of that group, I believe. Um, Ryback. He was a part of that group. <laughs> that's um, the guy that eats chips. Mm -hmm. That's the guy. Big yeah, that's the guy that. that just now goes on social media and just bashes WWE. He does. That's he, what he, that he, normally. That's what he does. He just yeah. talks about how WWE had ruined him and all this other stuff. Um, mm. He then um, joined the faction of Nexus, which was led by Wade Barrett, who was the winner of the first season of NXT. They formed this faction to where they declared all-out war on WWE and had. Great feuds with John Cena. Great storyline with John Cena where, you know, uh, Wyndham was a part of it. He had gotten into a match with John Cena. Uh, then, of course, Nexus dropped Wade Barrett as their leader and had CM Punk as their leader. And then after that, Nexus kind of dispersed Wade. And then uh, Wyndham went back to back down to NXT to developmental and came up almost instantly the Wyatt family, which was a great psychological faction. They, they, you would think they were like cult, uh, they were a cult or anything, but no, this was like a, they were supposed to be like a family from the Bayou, you know, from the South. And, uh, it was great. They had, um, he had, paired up with um, uh, the late Luke Harper and uh, Eric Rowan. And Luke Harper, as we know, went on to wrestle for AEW and then also had died during in uh, about three years ago in 2020. Um, and um, it wasn't it was there that you know the the Wyatt family had legendary feuds with uh the shield fellow nxt members of course being made up of john moxley roman reigns and seth rollins um had a great run with uh going up against the rock and john cena at wrestlemania 32 and of course his legendary match with the undertaker at i believe it was wrestlemania 34 um 
one of the matches you saw, um, I'm kind of looking at the no- the notes that I had here on him. I'm kind of scrolling through. I forgot a few things. Um, while he played, when he was playing football, you know, Wyndham, he ended up uh, he earned a scholarship to Troy University and played college football there for two years, uh, and earning a bachelor's degree. After graduating, decided eh, I'll be a professional wrestler like my family. Uh, then, um, I mean, it went, when he went back and, you know, started with the Wyatt family, that's where he started making f- uh, friends with a lot of people and started helping a lot of people out, uh, with their characters and everything. Um, they didn't get into the main roster until I want to say 2012, 2013. Uh, one of the, what was one of the matches? Because you watched quite a few of his matches. Uh, what was one that you saw first? Uh, like, like actually saw first, or as far as no, as far as because uh, career first. Like the earliest one I can think of, the uh, the earliest one. Uh, I saw the the match he did with Finn Balor, uh, SummerSlam. As, okay. As the Fiend, uh, the first one he did is that. Uh, let's see. He did one uh, just as Bray Wyatt against Randy Orton. That one was at WrestleMania, I think. That one uh, was pretty good. That yeah. was his last appearance as the uh, Fiend. What? That was his last appearance as the Fiend. Oh no, I saw the one uh, at WrestleMania 33. Okay. Uh, he he ended up uh, losing the title to Randy Orton at that one. Mm. Um, I saw one uh, where he went against the Undertaker at WrestleMania 31. So the Undertaker won that one. Let's see. Well, of course. Yeah. Um and then of course the one he had with LA Knight. Yeah, uh, yeah, that the last one his last match actually yeah. was That was my first Bray Wyatt match. That was. That was your first one and um you didn't know about Bray Wyatt really until you saw the Fiend here and there. That's when you yeah. start that's exactly about around the time you started watching wrestling was when the Fiend was at its peak, at his high, at his, you know, his, his at his pinnacle, um, which I thought was a great character. I loved the fiend; it was it was great. It almost had uh, traits of Undertaker with it. Let's see. Uh, uh, well, take me through some of these matches that you see. watched. Like, just say what the matches are, and then we talk about yeah. them at some point. Yeah. Or no, let's do that right now. Uh, let's see. I also saw a bit of that uh, Elimination Chamber, Wyatt Family versus The Shield when you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, Everyone loved that one, especially me. Yeah, because it was two big factions. I think both of them ended up being uh, on your favorite factions list at some point. They were. They still are. Uh, let's see. I guess we'll start off with... Uh, Fiend versus Finn Balor. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that was his first opponent as the Fiend. It was kind of like the debut match for the Fiend, almost. It was. Well, match didn't last long. He quick he he kind of just dominated the entire thing as the Fiend. Uh, lasted under five minutes, uh, which I thought was kind of funny. Just kind of. Yeah, because everyone was thinking during that time it was like, oh, Finn Balor's going to bring the Demon back and. That would have been a cool like. That would have been cool. The thing. demon versus the fiend, you know. But did that ever happen? Or no, that would have been don't, cool. I don't believe it did. That would have been cool. I think the Finn Balor re- re- revamped and brought back the demon to face Roman Reigns at one pay per view event, and it didn't work. Let's see. Oh, and then uh, him and I think it was Edge at uh, yeah, WrestleMania. At WrestleMania, yeah, but that. Yeah. Um. Then I saw like highlights of a Hell in a Cell he did with Seth Rollins. Yeah, that one was good. He was uh, uh, the Fiend on that it, one. It was. Uh, the Fiend um, ended in DQ, but it's Hell in a Cell, so that was kind of a little confusing. Yeah. Uh, up until that time point, it was a good match, though. Um, and both of them are, are my favorite wrestlers, so yeah, on the, on the list there. Then uh, him versus Undertaker. Um, that one was a good one. The trademark moment was when he does, when Bray does that backwards thing, he crawls like a backwards spider or something. Something you'd see out of the movie The Exorcist. And, and like bend backwards or something like that. Yeah, and then the Undertaker does his legendary sit up move, like you know, I'm I'm not phased by this. I'm back from the dead. <laughs> and it was like at that moment, he as soon as Bray Wyatt bends back, Undertaker sits up and they lock eyes, and Bray immediately just goes out of that position and is like, oh my god, and it's like the first and only time you first see fear in Bray Wyatt's eyes. Yeah, because he was supposed to be the new face of fear. Mm-hmm. Very why it was. Yes. Um. And he even tried a few Sister Abigails on uh, Undertaker, didn't he? He did. Uh, didn't I? Don't think all of those went the best, but still, it was another good match. Still a great match. Uh, that the Randy Orton one I saw, uh, was another really good one. The one at WrestleMania 33, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was some kind of weird like pro- projector thing going on where there was like I think the first one was maggots or something, and then worms, uh, and then some kind of beetle or cockroach that was put onto the ring. Yeah. Sorta. What was that about? I I don't know. He was still he's still instilling fear into people. Because at least with the first two, it re- it messed with Randy Orton. It did. Uh, which was kind of funny to see. Uh, even if Randy Orton won that one, it was a good match by both. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, we should should we talk about the pitch black match? We can, because uh, it was it was his last match. Uh, and with that one, uh, I didn't really go back and rewatch it. Probably will get around to it at some point. Um, but it was it, I like that one because. Again, with the uh, presentation of it, uh, I remember at one point he got, there was something involving a table where because of the glow in the dark thing and they had like glitter or something in there, it exploded out of the table. So it it created a kind of cool effect. Uh, 
it it would have been cool to kind of see what happened from there. But, right. And I remember you, us even kind of debating and theorizing. Yeah. So how now I want to ask you how as far as Bray Wyatt being, you know, on, I guess he's on your list of being favorite, one of your favorite wrestlers. Yeah. What drew you to him to be one, uh, one of the your favorite wrestlers? He was red in a world of black and white. Oh, okay. He stood out. He stood out, right? And his, um, for me, it was it was his promos. It was it, it's that too. It it's was like, intense in your I, face promos, and not just that, but all of them kind of connect together even i remember somewhere when i was looking and doing research apparent one of his old promos like referenced the fiend before oh uh, yes debuted. with the white family yeah before the fiend even debuted years before the fiend so that was kind of cool the fact that he was setting stuff up that early yeah i mean Bray Wyatt had a lot of creativity. A lot of a lot of his fellow wrestlers at NXT, uh, when he, he was coming up with this Bray Wyatt character and everything, they were like all mesmerized by how he could cut a promo about that. And they're they're all like, he may not have known what the heck he was talking about, but it captivated you. It brought you in and got your interest. Like this guy's character is kind of interesting. He's not making any sense, but he kind of is in a way, you know? And, um, I mean, it always grabbed, it always grabbed my attention, especially with the Wyatt family. Um, and how he was like, you know, follow the buzzards. And then all of a sudden the screen goes black, you know, the whole thing with the Wyatt family always intri- uh, intrigued me. And then, you know, he comes back and he's he's by himself now. And he ends up joining forces with Matt Hardy and becomes the deleters of of, of worlds. And that was, that was a pretty good uh, teaming there. Then comes along the Fiend. And he's got a new phrase and that's run. And... Uh, that pulled me in even more. It was like, I'm loving this. And, uh, I mean, there was no, no one better. He was right up there with wrestlers that could get in your head psychologically when cutting a promo. And then, uh, he comes back, comes back again as just Bray Wyatt, you know, and he he at one point actually let his guard down and just opened up to the fans on his return. This was after Extreme Rules when he came back and was just thanking the fans that if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be coming back. And uh, that's when he got into that feud with uh, with, with L.A. Knight. And then that whole match with L.A. Knight I enjoyed And L.A. Knight. I mean, yeah. <laughs> He he did he he did a good fair share of work with with him on that and I w- I was really looking forward to other future matches like him and Bobby Lashley they were setting that up for WrestleMania and that didn't happen because I guess he succumbed to uh, COVID at that time and uh, they had to scrap that match but bef- before that I remember it was him and Uncle Howdy taking out Hit Row 
And then they were saying, uh, then he was saying, you know, whoever wins between this match at Crown Jewel or whatever the match was in Saudi Arabia, uh, whether it's Bobby Lashley or Brock Lesnar, you better run. And I was imagine, quickly imagining going Brock Lesnar versus Bray Wyatt. This is going to be interesting. I, I would love to see Brock Lesnar against Bray Wyatt. And then you had other other crazy ideas of factions for him. You know, Alexa Bliss come, possibly going to be coming back and joining him. Uh, you know, other dark characters like Alba Fire and Isla Dawn joining that group or something, you know. Or, or even having a feud with Karrion Cross. That would have been another That would one. have been excellent. But, I mean... Both of their styles would have kind of mixed there. Yeah. With them supposed to be, like, darker characters. Yeah. But um, but then came, came that time, you know, we get the announcement that he had passed away. Um, he, uh, he has, you know, four children that hopefully they carry on his legacy when they in some way or fashion they don't have to be professional wrestlers but some way or fashion just to honor their father and respect him and everything like that he was engaged to a former wwe ring announcer uh I believe her name uh was uh jojo and um you know having four children together or two from a previous marriage and then uh, two with uh, Jojo, I believe. Um, it, it was just sad. It was it was really just sad to hear of his passing. Um, passed away at Claremont, Florida, due to a due to a heart attack. The the death was announced by Triple H on Twitter uh, because he had gotten a phone call from uh, Bray Wyatt's father, Mike Rotunda, saying uh, he has passed away. Um, he had a pre-existing heart condition, come to find out, and COVID just went right after it and brought on the brought on the heart attack. Um, and I was, when I found out about that, I did nothing but see, uh, see a lot of tributes to him on social media, be it Facebook, Instagram, or, uh, TikTok. Uh, a lot of them were great tributes. Uh, then, um, one of them I also saw was uh, Booker T. He was in the middle of filming his, uh, podcast when he got in the news and, he i could see the look on booker t's face was he he couldn't believe it he was he was beside himself and so so were a lot of people even to this day i mean we're recording here and it's and you know we're still not believing that you know the you know bray wyatt the eater of worlds is is gone uh we did watch the a uh, recent episode of SmackDown where they paid tribute to him and Terry Funk. And I absolutely loved that episode. Same. It, it's, uh, it was similar to the tribute show they had for Eddie Guerrero. 
back in 2005. This you're you're living through what I did with with Eddie Guerrero's death. It was hard for me too because I was a big fan of his uh, of Eddie Guerrero's and uh, this this tribute for Bray Wyatt. It was it was absolutely beautiful. I loved it. Uh, they had uh, the Tim Bell salute, which we'll we'll also do here as always. Um, then they had their video package tribute to him, and which was also really good. And to end it before they continue on with the show, had the legendary Wyatt family rocking chair in the middle of the stage and the spotlight shining down on it or wasn't that how they closed smackdown like no, no that, that's how they opened it because that's how he started his big career was with the white family it was it's poetic it's it's symbolic in a way just follow through with me here on this uh there were some people that did show up braun Strowman was there as well as eric rowan who we haven't seen in quite some time uh they were there and they stood at one point it didn't show it on smackdown but at one point they stood by the rocking chair and uh just you know just stared at the chair and everything and then went back with the rest of the uh superstars on the stage so that way they can do a zoom in on the uh rocking chair in the spotlight and then smackdown began now i did notice a little bit here and there uh little tributes to bray wyatt during uh ray mysterio's match with uh grayson waller ray mysterio did the you know he acted like he was you know phased by a move that grayson waller did and grayson waller comes running at him and then ray just does this tremendous clothesline bray wyatt did the same thing to ray mysterio in one of their matches uh, then he ray mysterio did a uh, jumping senton where he landed on his back on uh on Grayson Waller, Bray Wyatt used to do that move. Uh, before their uh, Terry Funk hardcore match, uh, Street Profits, Montez Ford sees a camera and looks at it and goes, he still has the whole world in his hands. Um, and then, of course, we can't for, we cannot leave out how Cody Rhodes was talking about Terry Funk and how he met Terry Funk and through his dad and everything and how um, he honors and respects him and call refers to Bray Wyatt and uh, Terry Funk as uh, cowboys that have now rode off into the sunset. And um, then of course, LA Knight's promo where he honored and respected Bray Wyatt and was talking to the Miz about how the Miz was trashing him so much and um then tells the miz uh a wise man once told me you see me again run and at that point i i started to well up a little bit like wow <laughs> cuz he almost sounded like it almost sounded like as if bray cuz la knight almost sounded like bray when he said it and it was almost as if bray was you know still kind of lingering with him in a way um then of course like you were mentioning at the end of the show they had his lantern in the middle of the ring so So, everything just started going dark and then they had the lantern 
and then the ending shot was the chair. Yeah, and so. then an image of Bray Wyatt staring at the stage. And uh, the, and like I said, it was symbolic. It was what started, what launched his career in WWE was with the Wyatt family. And what ended it was how they cut the lights off was with The Fiend. And then him with the lantern, you know. I remember at one point, uh, the crowd started singing that he has the whole world in his hands. I so that- absolutely really tried very hard not to lose it there. Because uh, it was like, that shows how much he impacted the fans. And that's what a professional wrestler is supposed to do. You're supposed to connect with the fans. They may not know you personally. They may not they may not know you at all. You know, you may just exchange words with them just for a brief few minutes during an autograph signing. But you're still connected to them somehow some way. Or you relate to the, their character in somehow or some way, you know. Uh, like, again, I go back to Eddie Guerrero. He had faced addiction. Uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. He had <clears throat> fully recovered as an as a alcoholic and, a, and an addict. He gained a lot of fans who at once at one point said, you know, I was an addict. And then I saw st- uh, Eddie's story. And it was there I decided, if Eddie can do it, so can I. And he inspired a lot of people. Um, with Bray Wyatt, it could have been something with mental health um, or something. But he did affect a lot of people. <clears throat> your thought, your overall thoughts on how SmackDown paid tribute to both Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt? Uh not sure how much I can comment on the Terry Funk one because well, I, I didn't I mean, know after, much about after it. seeing his matches. Your thoughts on Terry? Uh, how about this? Your thoughts on Terry Funk after you've watched uh, a bit of his matches? Uh, I think it's pretty good uh, that you had, especially that you had uh, Cody Rhodes, whose father had rivalries and matches with uh, Terry Funk talk about it right and then uh of course the 10 bell um for as for bray wyatt um i liked it i I really liked how they went about went about doing that and and a lot of fans are i mean at one at one point i was really holding back tears as much as possible because i mean he was he was really good and he was around my age, so, you know. Um, but, yeah, that that affected me as much as Eddie Guerrero's death, I should say, It which was, it hit me pretty hard. I mean, at one point, you had to have been holding back tears. Well, right then, it didn't really hit me. Like, even now, I don't think it fully has, because to a point, I'm not really... I'm not really thinking about it that much, right. but it is definitely one of those things that, yeah, because yeah. I think a lot of us wanted to see what exactly his vision was for his character going forward and what he wanted to do. And how he would end his career. But unfortunately, it had to end on the note it did. That's true. Uh there were, there's still a lot of uh, tributes 
coming out for Bray Wyatt. And, uh, you know, uh, this it's his death still affects a lot of people and that's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there is one I w- did want to mention. I never really wanted to give this guy any recognition whatsoever. But I came across a video on TikTok that it it, it, it kind of irked me. Irritated me in a way. And, I, and I've told you about him. Irk is not a word you hear often. <laughs> no, because it's my PG way of saying, you know, it. You know, it angered me. This guy who is a young, young punk kid who says he was uh, going into professional wrestling and was a student of Luke Harper's. And he was saying, you know, uh, is Bray Wyatt's death uh, sad and are we sad that he's gone? Yeah. But then he goes off and just says the most idiotic thing to the effect of, you know, why why are we crying and being upset for someone that we don't personally know and it's like does it really matter and there's another tiktoker who i will give proudly give recognition to uh that is um thomas bishop i believe his first name's thomas if i'm screwing it up i'm sorry um but he he went 10 minutes and explaining that and it was what i was saying the wrestlers are connecting with the audience that's the whole point of them wanting to be a wrestler is to connect with people and it will make the people feel that they're a part of their life because they are seeing them quite a bit and everything like that you know he went he went to this whole long uh thing and I watched it and I enjoyed it. And it was it was factual. Everything he said was true, you know. Bishop, not not the other guy. And uh I, I just I just couldn't understand why can someone be that cold about something such as that, you know. The the man had Bray Wyatt had affected and Terry Funk as well have affected many careers. I mean, if it wasn't for Terry Funk, we wouldn't be having PCO matches that would make me cringe. We wouldn't have Mick Foley diving off of a Hell in the Cell match with The Undertaker. Um, Iconic moments. If it wasn't for Terry Funk, there would be no hardcore title. A lot of people would like to accredit it to Mick Foley, but again, it all stems from Terry Funk. Now, granted, there are probably a lot of people who are saying... There were uh, there were wrestlers that were extreme before Terry Funk. That's fine, but the b- most well known is Terry Funk. For a man who had a fifty year, fifty plus wrestling career, no one can hardly ever say that. No one. Uh, for him to be wrestling still, surprisingly, like at that one night stand event in his sixties. You know, um, but yeah, we we will continue to uh, mourn the loss here of these two wrestlers, but we will, out of their respects, uh, and we also pay our respects to their respective families uh, on their 
most tragic time in their their lives right now uh especially jojo and bray wyatt's kids um having to lose someone that close is Mm -hmm. no one should ever experience that and um wwe has now announced any proceeds of any of bray wyatt's merch whether it be the wyatt family bray wyatt or the fiend any of the sales that they get from the merch are going to the family members of Bray Wyatt. And I think that's a very honorable thing. And, um, I know talks right now for fans are Bray Wyatt will need to be inducted into the hall of fame. And I wholeheartedly agree. Same. He had a really great career and really wish we could see more out of his career, but sadly it it cannot be. So, um, from, all of us here across promo wrestling, we we'd like to send our condolences to the families and um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. Uh, We've got all in that we're going to be covering in the next episode here, which will be released uh, here shortly. And, uh, but for the time being, we will go ahead and give our cross promo 10 bell salute to two hall of famers. I'm going to say Bray Wyatt's a hall of famer. Uh, to two legendary Hall of Famers, Bray Wyatt and uh, Terry Funk. Uh, and after that, we'll have a brief moment of silence and then uh, we'll call in an episode. So this one's for you, Terry and Bray. Thank you, Terry Funk. Thank you, Bray Wyatt. May you forever rest in peace. That will do it here for everyone here at the Cross Promo. Uh, We'll catch you guys um, on the next episode.